Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. I was in the South service this morning where I did the talk for the first time. I was reminded about an, an um, incident like this in my own life. Uh, a number of years ago, a life-changing moment happening on an evening when I was standing, standing in a meeting. I was the one responsible for a series of meetings where there was a focus on the presence of God, the power of God, and God's ability to heal people. And we saw so many people coming to these meetings, so many people finding faith in Jesus Christ, and we saw many people being healed. Um, and at that point, I had been suffering from headaches and migraines for about 20 years. Um, and it, it had been a long 20 years, uh, a lot of pains, uh, and a lot of prayers, um, and a lot of negotiations, actually. I remember once when I was trying to no negotiate with God. So I was having a walk in the woods, and I was kind of uh, feeling really sorry for myself about all this pain and headaches. And, and then I thought, well, I will try to make a deal with God. So I said to him, God, just imagine all the things that I could do for you if you healed me from this. Uh, didn't really work, so uh, life kind of moved on. Uh, and then when I was standing that night in that meeting, uh, this guy who was visit visiting us and had this really faith to see healing, he said, well, in a moment I'm going to pray, and I will ask everyone who is sick here or who has pain to place a hand on the place, on the place in the body where they feel sick or have pain, and then I'll pray a prayer, and we'll believe that Jesus will be here and that he will heal people in this room. And I, my first thought was, it's not going to happen, honestly. I know. I thought it would happen to people around me. But thinking about myself and for the last 20 years and all those unheard prayers, I thought it's not going to happen to me. Then my next thought was, well, there are quite a number of people in this room who actually knows about me. They know what I'm suffering from. And if they see me as the one responsible for these meetings, not placing my hand on the head, what will they think? And that was actually what made me place my hand on the head. Not a lot of faith, huh? Um, so I did that, and he was praying his prayer, and I actually forgot all about it. Until the next day, where it dawned upon me, I haven't taken any painkillers. And my kind of normal, uh, what was normal for me was to take at least four, often six painkillers during a normal day. I suddenly realized I have no pain. And then the next day, no pain again. And the next day, no pain again. And I could hardly believe it. And after a week, I realized I actually got healed that night. Isn't that amazing? That was a life-changing moment for me. It's 15 years ago, and I'm still free of the headaches and the migraines. So I sympathize with this story of this man who had not only one life-changing moment. He actually had two life-changing moments in this story, which is quite interesting. Two things which equally simply uh, released him into a new kind of freedom that he had never experienced before. Actually, we can read this whole gospel of John through the lens of freedom. Our need for freedom, our desire for freedom, and the ability of Jesus Christ to step into our life and provide us with freedom. Uh, when John describes his 
purpose for writing the gospel, he puts it like this. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And in this whole account of John, we see that finding freedom, having freedom is an essential uh, integrated part of having life, of finding life. And out of thousands of miracles, John chooses seven miracles to describe how Jesus comes into our life and brings freedom. Uh, So this story that we are reading is carefully chosen among these seven miracle accounts. And if we go through them, we see that it seems like they are all targeting different areas where we as normal human beings find ourselves trapped in this life. One of the stories is the story of the miracle of water turning into wine, where Jesus proves himself to be the Lord of quality. That no matter how bad things look, Jesus has the power to change them and make them really good. We have a story of Jesus healing the nobleman's son, who was at a far distance from where Jesus was at the moment. But Jesus proves that he is Lord of distance. It doesn't matter that I am here praying for something far away from me. He is still more than able to intervene in that situation that I am praying for. We have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, but Jesus proves to be the Lord of quantity. That even though I feel that I only have a little to bring, that I only have a little thing to kind of meet the needs around me, when I give this to Jesus, he has the power to transform it, to make it into something big. We read about Jesus walking on the water, uh, where Jesus proves himself to be the Lord of natural forces. And we have the story of Jesus healing the man who was born blind, where Jesus proves himself to be Lord of destiny. And we all know how that is. We were born into this life with some genetics, some DNA that we are pretty happy about. Uh, We like it that we look good and we are strong, have good muscles and all of that. And then there would be some of it that we are not too proud of, some of it that we would rather be without, some that we simply came into this world with. But Jesus proves that he's stronger even than that. There's no destiny that has a final word on me. He is more powerful than that. And then we have the story of Jesus raising Lazarus, raising a man from the dead. And Jesus proves himself to be Lord of death, the ultimate enemy of mankind, the things that men fear the most. Jesus proves himself to be Lord of that. And then in this story, Jesus is healing this man who had been sick for 38 years, and Jesus proves to be Lord of time. And some of us would recognize this, that When we have found ourselves in a situation for some time, we tend to lose hope that things will change. We tend to grow a feeling that maybe this is my destiny. Maybe this will always be the same. Maybe this will never change for me. I think there will be quite a few of us in this room who knows exactly what this feeling is about. It's a feeling of being trapped uh, because this thing has been going on and on in my life. And here we have a story of a man who really felt trapped. He was trapped in a dysfunctioning body. It seems from the story that he was paralyzed. And he was together with all of these sick people gathered around this pool of Bethesda. And uh, they were there because of this myth saying that once in a while, 
an angel from heaven will step down from the heavens and stir the waters of the pond. And the first one to enter into this pond will receive healing. So they were waiting there for this to be happening. Now, what kind of atmosphere would you find in a place like this? Would they be comrades in arms? Would they be friends? Would they chat together and have a good time hanging out? Probably not. They were competitors. Because the one who was so fortunate to be the first to get into the pool, getting the healing, would also be the one stealing the healing from the other ones. Just imagine. So not only was he trapped in a dysfunctional body, he was also pretty much trapped in a depressing state of social life, this man. He was trapped in a hopeless destiny, being sick for 38 years. It's a very long time. Longer than most of us have lived. Some of us, we can't compete with this. But most of us would say, this is longer than I've even lived. It's a lot of time. It's a long time. And... Well, some of us, we only need kind of 38 seconds to grow a feeling of this is my destiny, depending on our um, disposition and our personality. But, but I think most of us would, say, would be saying that if this has been going on for 38 years, I would really feel trapped in a destiny. I'm never going to get out of this. And then he was trapped in some kind of broken background. This is the second life-changing moment in this man's life. After the healing, when Jesus come back, comes back and he sees this man and he says to him, stop sinning. Which is a kind of strange thing to say, isn't it? Here we have a man who has a great party that he has just been healed. I mean, what a joy, what a party. And then this is what Jesus says to him. Sounds like a joy killer, doesn't it? Stop sinning. What's that about? Why is he saying this. Well, obviously, something was going on in this man's life. The word that is used to, to translate this in Greek is the word hamatia, which means to miss the target or to miss the purpose of your life. So what Jesus is really saying to him, now something new has been happening to you. You have experienced my love, my grace, my mercy. You have experienced my healing. You are more valuable than a life like this. You are more worthy than a life like this. You are more loved than a life like this. That's actually what Jesus is saying to him. It's Jesus meeting this man and meeting us, not from the bottom, but from the top. Jesus is not coming to him and, and the first thing saying that, oh, we need to correct this, we need to change that, you need to do this, you need to do that, and then we can have some kind of relationship. No. Jesus heals him. And then this actually comes after the healing. Jesus always meets us from the top. He always meets us in the place where we were designed to be. Created by him, created for him, called to live a life that reflects the fact that we come from him. This is where he meets us. And when he deals with us, he calls us back into that kind of identity. So the stop sinning, seeing it in this life, is actually a love declaration from Jesus. Jesus saying to us and to him, receive my healing, come to know me, and be who you really are. That's what this is about. And probably this was an even more life-changing moment for, for this man 
than what he experienced in the healing. So he was trapped in a hopeless destiny, trapped in a dysfunctioning body, trapped in a broken background, and he was also trapped in a false image of God. It's very clear from this story. We have these Pharisees and scribes and religious leaders, and they were more preoccupied with Jesus telling the man to uh, take his mat and carry it on a Sabbath. More preoccupied with that than Jesus actually having healed this man who had been sick for 38 years. That's really weird, isn't it? That's really strange when you think about it. But for them, it made sense because they had produced this image of God, image of life, image of themselves, which actually made their life completely wrong. And that was what they were radiating, and that was what they passed on to the people. The thing is that when we receive an image of God which is wrong, it produces a wrong self-image. And that goes for all of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from. You may say, well, I don't even have an image of God. I don't know even if he's there. Well, if we have an image of God, we have something else that we have replaced that image with. Figures of authority, figures of importance in our life. And we shape our own self-image through how we image these persons or these figures in our life. Now, they had created an image of God as an unjust judge a dissatisfied employer, a distant father, an unpredictable dictator, an unfair lawmaker, and we could go on and on and on. Those were the kinds of feelings surrounding the image of God that was radiating from these people. Now, what kind of self-image does that produce? Well, it produced an image of myself as one being struck by an unjust destiny. It produces a sense of being inadequate to be alone, to be vulnerable, unloved, and simply to be, feel trapped in life. And it may not be a wonderful truth, it may not be a joyful truth, but the fact is that the image I carry around about myself actually speaks about the image I have of God. Now, I saw that going on in my own life. At one point, I realized that looking at me from one perspective, I was able to give the correct theological answers about what the Bible said about God. I could speak a long time about God being the God of love, God being the perfect Father, and all of that. I could also quite easily talk about what that meant for me and what that, how that placed me in relationship to Him and in relationship to myself. But nevertheless, what I realized was that beyond that, those correct answers, there was another thing going on which was a sense of God being always just a little and sometimes very much dissatisfied with me. God as one who saw me and kind of felt that God at last is not really living up to the mission. He's not really doing it well enough. So it was this sense of I'm always lacking something. I'm never really getting there. And there was a strong fear of failure connected to that. And this immediately kind of uh, had an effect on how I saw myself. The dis dissatisfaction that I suspected that God had when he looked at me, well, I produced that when he came to myself. I had this constant sense of things were never really as they should be. And some of you would know exactly what I am talking about. 
So even when other people came to me and they pointed out, oh, this went very well, or this you did really great, I would be very polite and say, oh, thank you very much for the encouragement. But on the inside, I would think about the one thing that I could have done better. And there would be this little nagging sense of dissatisfaction and also the sense that that would be what God was seeing when he was looking at me. To have an image like that is really to be trapped. Um, and it's, sadly, it's quite normal for us to end up in images like this. And like this man, we actually need healing. So he was trapped in all of this. And then Jesus comes into the picture. And everything changes. And it's like we almost get the hint in just the name of the pond. Bethesda actually means house of mercy. Isn't that a great name? House of mercy. So there's a, something that those hopes of these people were connected to, that there would be mercy coming to this place. And here comes Jesus, the person with unlimited resources, unlimited mercy. Here comes he to whom the myth had been pointing. Here comes the one with ever-flowing, always in motion, living water coming from an endless source. Here comes the one who has all this power that is described throughout the Gospel of John, who can break every yoke. Here comes the one of whom it says that there is no end to his grace, that it is new every morning, that it's not worn out, it's complete, it's there. House of mercy. When Jesus steps into the picture, no matter how much has gone wrong, no matter how much I feel trapped, no matter how much speaks against us, the whole situation changes and the place, our lives, becomes houses of mercy. Now, over these last couple of weeks, I have uh, had the privilege uh, of hearing some great stories from people telling me about how they experienced the freedom of Jesus. One of them came through an email, uh, and that was a wonderful email to receive. And it was a guy that I had been praying for at some occasion not too long ago. He came to me and another one, and he said, well, you know, I am really suffering from anxiety and fear of failure, and it's really tormenting me, and it's been going on for a long time. Would you pray for me? So we prayed and said, amen, and honestly, I forgot all about it, and uh, then I think a couple of weeks or three weeks went by and I received this email about a totally different thing from this person. And then at the end, he wrote, and by the way, thanks for the prayer. I have not felt anxiety or fear even once since you prayed for me. And I was like, oh, this is a great email. Let's have more of those. Um, so was, that was one of the stories and I was really encouraged. Uh, and I can see you are too. Uh, please control yourself. Uh, This would, this would act out differently in Latin America, this preach, but uh, <laughs> you're doing fine. <laughs> Just this week, there was a person from, from the STEPS courses coming to me, and some of you know that on these courses, we seek God's help to break unhelpful patterns in our lives. 
and we all feel trapped in different ways because of things going on in our lives. And we try to find God's help to break this. And this guy who had been dealing or who are dealing with some really heavy stuff in his life, uh, having great consequences for him and his family, he came to me with a big smile and he said, I, I, uh, this is great. And uh, we are only two weeks into this and I already sense a difference. I already sense a change. Something is really happening. Something is changing. And it has an effect on my family too. And of course, I was being uh, very controlled, but on the inside, I was like, yeah, that's great. And I was having my own party on the inside. It's wonderful. Jesus stepping into the scene and starting to work his freedom in people's life. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Oh, we're getting there. <laughs> and then I, I rejoiced in the stories also. Actually, almost every week over the last couple of months, we have heard stories about people receiving physical healing, um, often connected to the prayers that we pray at the end of the service. And it's just amazing um, to see that kind of freedom happening, isn't it? Jesus really has the power, the mercy, the willingness to step into the picture and change the whole scenery. So what was trapped, what seemed to be a hopeless destiny, becomes a house of mercy. So we have this almost dramatic situation that we have this guy who's totally trapped, then we have Jesus with all this power, all this love. And one should imagine that Jesus would go directly to him and say, be healed and everything would be well. But instead, Jesus asks him a question, and a quite weird one too. Do you want to get well? He asks him. So why does he ask that question? To get information? Well, probably not, because Jesus knew everything of what was going on in people's lives, so he didn't need the information. Maybe the man needed to hear it himself. What is it that I really want? Maybe he needed to hear, I actually do want to get well. Why was that relevant for him to hear that? Well, Sometimes we might be tired of the consequences of the bad stuff going on in our lives. But it still remains a question, are we willing to deal with the source of the consequences? Are we really to have a completely different lifestyle, a completely different way of seeing ourselves and living our lives? It's relevant because when we receive the healing of Jesus Christ, when we receive the, the freedom... It means a totally new way of seeing myself, of seeing God. It means that I am no longer a victim. I'm no longer unworthy or undeserving. I'm no longer unloved. It's a drastic change in my way of seeing God and seeing myself and consequently relating to other people. It's relevant because the healing water that Jesus offers is something completely different from the hopes connected to the water of the pond. Now, this is an ongoing theme in the Gospel of John. We hear it in the wonderful story about the Samaritan woman that David was preaching about some weeks ago. And Jesus gives this woman a solid promise. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And we hear it when Jesus, in an unusual manner, shouts to the multitudes of the pilgrims in Jerusalem. And he shouts, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water 
will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit. So, this is connected to the totality of the accounts of the miracles in the Gospel of John. All of these people with all these kinds of, sort of different needs looking for help. Looking for someone who could save them, rescue them. Jesus having the power to do so, but also Jesus offering much more than that. Jesus offering more than the drink. Jesus offering a relationship with the wine that produces the wine. Or Jesus offering the well that produces the drink. Jesus offering himself a relationship with him. So what Jesus is actually asking this man is, would you rather want the pond? Would you rather take your chances? Or would you enter the relationship with me? The healing is important, but according to the Gospel of John, it's not the most important. It serves as an entry into the most important. So if I remain in the quest for the next blessing, the next stirring of the water in the pond, I may miss out of something which is far more important. It's actually a choice between two lifestyles. Or a choice between the well or the drink, which means that it's basically an existential choice between how I choose to see God and how I choose to see myself. Do I see him as my father? Which means that I am the child living life in all of its complexity and throughout all its phases and stages in a meaningful relationship with him? Or do I see him as Father Christmas? Meaning that I am the accidental lucky child who on rare occasions receives a gift from the absent father residing far away on the North Pole. How do I choose to see him? Who is he? Who am I? How do I choose to see that? Will I be healed? It's kind of a profound question that Jesus is asking him and maybe asking us today. Can I have the band come up here, please? This is a strong invitation for us in this story. It's an invitation for those of us who are acutely aware of our need to receive healing through an encounter with Jesus Christ. It may be physical healing. It may be something going on on an emotional level. It may be something going on in our social relationships. But an area of our lives where we feel trapped, and we really need to see Jesus stepping into the picture and actually change the whole situation so that my life becomes a house of mercy. Where his mercy is revealed on me in my life. But there's also a strong calling in this story. It's a calling to all of us who are in the process of being healed. All of us who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ and who are in this process where we see that healing is going on in our lives. In one sense, you could say that this story is a kind of micro, microcosmos mirroring the mac, macrocosmos. 
The whole world could be described in the scene that we see here. Our city, our neighborhoods, our families, our working places, they are all parts of Bethesda in different ways. Have you noticed? In all of these places, there are people who are looking for hope. People who in one sense may have lost hope or be in the process of losing it. But at the same time, people who are trying to hang on because they know that if I lose hope, I lose life. People who are longing for freedom, who may play the act on the surface, but as soon as you just look them one time extra in the eyes, you see what's going on behind those eyes. People aware of their need for healing. Jesus went into places like that. And he calls us to follow him, to go into places like that. As a church, we believe that this is our calling. That we are here in London to be part of that, along with other Christians in this city, along with other churches in this city, to be part of making this a house of mercy. Wouldn't that be a wonderful name for this city? Among other names, but that this would also be a name of this city. A house of mercy. A place where Jesus is being revealed as the one that he truly is. The one who, is, who has the ultimate power to break any kind of yoke. To step into any kind of situation and prove his love and prove his recreational power. Should we stand and pray? So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for your presence in this room. And I pray for the grace for every one of us who is here and who feels thirsty and hungry and who, who are aware of our need for the freedom that you have to give. Pray for those of us who are standing here with pain in our bodies or sickness going on in our lives. Jesus, thank you for stepping into the picture today. Thank you for your healing. And if you want to, you can place your hand on the place where you have the pain or the sickness in your body. And receive the prayer that I'm praying now. Lord, you see us right now. And I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit will go through that place in our body where the sickness or where the pain is. And by your name, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the promises that you've given us in your word, I pray that healing may take place in this very moment. Lord, we receive it in your name. We will stand up and we will walk and we will receive the healing that you give to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for those of us who are struggling with false images of you and false images of ourselves. I pray that a new day will dawn. I pray that a change will be happening right now, that something, a yoke will be broken right now uh, on, on the inside of our lives, that we may start seeing things differently, see you for who you really are, the one who meets us from the top, the one who meets us in unconditional love, the one who leaves us, meets us with a mercy that has not been worn out, 
which is new, brand new in this very moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we receive your healing. Lord, we receive your healing. Lord, we receive your healing in your wonderful name. Let's praise and worship. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.